So this morning I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 2. And the text that we are focusing in on will be verses 25 through 35, but I'm going to start reading from verse 21, verse 21, because that sets the whole context for what we're looking at. So I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 35. You can find this on page 1015 in the Bibles provided in the chairs. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word, inspired, infallible, all-sufficient. Father, we pray that you would guide us in this time, that you would give us wisdom and discernment through your Holy Spirit, that we may understand your word, that we would understand your truth. For to know your truth is to know your Son, Jesus Christ. To know and believe in your Son, Jesus Christ, 
is to be set free and have eternal life. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. Amen. As we've been going through Advent, we've been looking at Matthew, but for this last day of, uh, last Sunday of 2018, I would like us to look at Luke 2. Luke 2. Because throughout the account of Jesus, whether it be the angel coming to Mary, And the work of the Spirit, we see that the Holy Spirit is lifted up here. And especially in Luke, so much emphasis is placed on the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'd like this morning for us just to walk through this passage and see the truth of how it is that each and every one of us who is saved, how that happened. How did that happen? Well, it's through the birth, the new birth of the Holy Spirit, God making us alive. So as we walk through this passage, that is my hope that we will see that great reality. But again, as you go through Luke, you see where Luke keeps lifting up the work of the Holy Spirit. And as we see this, we see how powerfully God is at work in our lives, in the lives of all God's people. So first, if you look at Luke chapter 1, If you go to Luke chapter 1, verse 31, you see here where the Holy Spirit is lifted up. You will be called, you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. This is when the angel comes to Mary to explain what's going to take place. Verse 32 of Luke 1, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So here we see in in Luke how the Holy Spirit is lifted up as the Holy Spirit is the One. Remember, we understand one God, three persons. We understand the Trinity. And it is the Holy Spirit who comes and overshadows Mary and brings about Jesus Christ, miraculously within Mary's womb. So we see the Holy Spirit lifted up here. But Luke continues, every moment through Luke chapter 2, you see the Holy Spirit lifted up and how the Holy Spirit is bringing out the will and the plan of God the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, in the power and working of the Holy Spirit. So again, if you go to... Chapter 1, if you move down to verse 41. So the setting here is Mary goes out to meet with Elizabeth. So here it is, Luke chapter 1, verse 41. 
When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, this is little John, the baptizer, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. So first we see the Holy Spirit comes and brings about the conception of Jesus Christ miraculously within Mary's womb. And now the Holy Spirit comes and we have John in utero leaping at the sound of Mary and we have Elizabeth giving proclamation through the power of the Holy Spirit concerning who Mary is and who Jesus is. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Then you continue on. If you go to verses 68, so you continue on through chapter 1. I'm sorry, go up to 67. So now you have... Zechariah. Now you have John's father. So, so far we've seen in Luke 1, we've seen the Holy Spirit bring about Jesus' conception. We've seen the Holy Spirit cause John to leap. We've seen the Holy Spirit empower and enable Elizabeth to know who Mary is and to know that that child is the Son of God. Now we have the Holy Spirit working through John's father, Zechariah. So, Luke chapter 1, verse 67. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Here it is again. And now what we have Zechariah doing is he's going to prophesy. So we see where the Holy Spirit is working in him, and he is prophesying, he's proclaiming who Christ is. And if you see this proclamation... His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. So again, we see the Holy Spirit enabling Zechariah to know that God has sent his Savior, that God has sent his Redeemer, that finally the thing that all God's people have been longing for, have been waiting for to be fulfilled, has come about. So again, you see the work of the Holy Spirit. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, none of these people would have any idea what's going on. They would be completely blind, and have no understanding. Remember, that's part of the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides us in the truth. The Holy Spirit lifts up Jesus Christ and does the will of God the Father. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and our need for a Savior. The Holy Spirit leads us and guides us in the truth. The Holy Spirit makes God's Word alive to us so that we can know and live in and walk according to the Word of God. 
So as we look in our text of Luke chapter 2, 25, it should not surprise us that yet again, when Luke is beginning a story or a statement about someone, he begins with the Holy Spirit. So again, Luke chapter 2, 25 Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Again, here's the vital need of the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, Simeon would be just as lost and just as blind and just as unknowing of the work of God as anyone else alive during the time. 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Verse 27, and he came in the Spirit. Here's the third time in these three verses that the Holy Spirit is referenced. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. We see here the continued work of the Holy Spirit, and this again is how God works in our lives. In our lives, before we come to know and believe and trust in Jesus Christ, as Ephesians 2 says, we are dead. Absolutely dead. Completely unable. We have no ability. We have no desire. There is nothing in us that loves or desires God. We rebel. We hate God. All we want is what our flesh wants, what the devil, our slave master wants, and what the world wants around us. We are enslaved, as Ephesians 2 says. So we are completely helpless and hopeless unless God the Father has written our name in the book of life from before the foundation of the earth. So you have God's, the God the Father's election, and you have Jesus Christ on the cross dying for God's elect, and you have the Holy Spirit. And this is where the focus is for Luke. The Holy Spirit who makes God's people, the elect, alive so they can hear the gospel so that they can believe and trust the gospel so that they can love the gospel and love Jesus Christ and desire him more than anything that we would go from death to life so that's what's so beautiful about Luke's account as he walks through chapter one and chapter two is you see all these people whether it be Elizabeth or Zechariah or Simeon or a little further into Anna, all these people, it is through the work of the Holy Spirit that makes them alive to see Jesus Christ for who he is, to desire Jesus Christ more than anything else. And that's what it was for Simeon. It says that Simeon, 
he, he, he was waiting for, he was praying for, he desired the coming Savior more than anything else. That's what consumed him. And God so blessed him in enabling him to hold the Christ in his own arms. What a tender, beautiful moment. And that's why he could say he could die in peace now. He can die in peace. He's seen the Savior. He's held the Savior. He knows that God is faithful. God made him a promise, and God brought about that promise. And because he knows God is faithful, and God is true, and he has seen the salvation brought through Jesus Christ, I can die in peace. Because with that, he has everything. Everything. So that's my hope and encouragement for every one of us here. Every single one of us. It doesn't matter what we have of this heaven and this earth. All those things pass away. But if you have Jesus Christ, if you know him as your Lord and Savior, if you know that that on the cross he died for your sins and on the cross he bore the wrath that that you and I deserve, if, if you know that and, and you believe in that and, and you trust that and, and in examining yourselves, you see the work of the Holy Spirit, that, that he has made you alive and you are, you are growing in your love for Jesus. And you see that work in your lives where more and more you, you hate sin and you love Christ. More and more you, you want to die to sin and live for Christ. Then you know Jesus is your everything. You can have peace no matter what the circumstances. Circumstances no longer matter. You can have peace no matter what is going on around or in you. Because you know that if you have Jesus, you have everything. That's what we see is the lesson here with Simeon. That Jesus was his everything. He was what he was waiting and longing and living for. And you see him lift this up. Well, Mary and Joseph come to the temple, and that's what we saw earlier in our text. We see in Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 21, we see we're on the eighth day, and, and Luke is very clear here. Luke wants us to know a very important thing about Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ was Jewish. This is very important. Jesus Christ was Jewish. This is of vital importance because Jesus Christ was born under the law. Very important. And Luke is emphasizing this. And it is because Jesus Christ was born under the law and because Jesus Christ fulfilled the law perfectly that all those who are in him that we too can die to the law and be saved by grace. That Jesus becomes the law keeper on our behalf. So that's why Luke puts, you can see the emphasis here. Again, verse 21, on the eighth day, 
when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. And then verse 22, this is what brings Joseph and Mary and the little baby Jesus to the temple was because of the law of Moses. Mary had to go through at the temple a sacrifice had to be made, an atoning sacrifice had to be made because of the issue of blood from giving birth to Jesus Christ. So this had to take place. This is the law of Moses. And you see this in Leviticus 12. Leviticus 12, verse 6. And when the days of her purifying were completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. And then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. For this is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. So this is Leviticus 12. So this is the law that they are obeying. And that's why Jesus is being brought to the temple. And that's why Mary is bringing her sacrifice to the temple. But in our text, where it lifts it up, in verse 24, it says, And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. This is Leviticus 12. But do you notice what it says here in Luke 2.24? A pair of doves or two young pigeons. But what I just read in Leviticus 12, 6 and 7, it said... What the burnt offering was is a lamb, a year old, and a pigeon or a turtle dove. Well, Leviticus 12, verse 8, explains what takes place in Luke chapter 2. Leviticus 12, 8 says, And if she cannot afford a lamb. This is powerful. So here we see Joseph and Mary, they couldn't afford a lamb. They did not have the financial means to afford a lamb. Verse 8, And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. But isn't that amazing? So this is developed. God had given this law through Moses in Leviticus. And here you have Joseph and Mary. And in their poverty, they cannot afford a lamb when she is coming to have atonement made for her at the birth of Jesus Christ. But what's amazing is all along, they've got a lamb with them. It's Jesus Christ. Isn't this amazing? So here they come to the temple and they have the Lamb of God who will be slain. And this is what Simeon is going to prophesy. And in their poverty, 
They can't offer a lamb. But Jesus is the lamb. So they come to the temple and they offer the two pigeons and two turtle doves for the sin offering. And this is when Simeon comes and he prophesies this powerful reality of who this child will be. And what a prophecy. So again, in verse 29, he gives thanks and praise to God that God is letting him die in peace. Why? Verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. That's where Simeon places all his comfort and hope and peace is God fulfills his promises according to his word. That's very important for us. It is God's word that is sure and true. Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation. In verse 31, here's this proclamation. Jesus isn't just a local savior to one nation. No, he is king of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 31, this salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. All peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Wow, that's it. Jesus is the light. He's the light. And there's that promise, the promise given to Abraham that through his offspring, Jesus Christ, he would be a blessing to every nation. And we see this depiction, we see it ultimately in Revelation where we see the people of God, the elect of God, all those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who is slain, that they are of every tribe, every nation, every language, every people. And that's what Simeon is prophesying here. Jesus is the light for revelation. He is the revelation of the good news That God saves sinners through the perfect life, the substitutionary atonement death, the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. He is the light. This is what what the gospel of John also says. John chapter 1, starting at verse 9, it says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This is, why, this is why we are to go to every person. If a person is alive, here's your criteria for missions. If you're wondering, oh, who should we be doing missions to? I have a very simple criteria. Are they alive? That's all the criteria you need for missions. If they're alive, then... Shine the light of Christ. Proclaim the gospel. Lift him up as king and kings and lord of lords. He is savior. He's the only way, truth, and life. (laughs) If they're alive. This is what John 1 says. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. That's the reality of the gospel. We proclaim the gospel. We lift up the gospel to every human being. 
in hopes and prayers that all those to whom God will make alive, He will make alive. But we, 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 just, we share the gospel with everyone. Christ is Lord. Christ has died for the sins of God's people. Christ is the way, truth, and life. We just, we just proclaim that to everyone. Everyone. And we see in verse 33 where Joseph and Mary, they, they marvel. They're just, wow. It's just marveling after marveling. Shepherds have come and told about the angels. And, and Joseph and Mary have had angelic visitations. And now we have Simeon at the temple. And, and then we're going to have Anna. And then, oh, between one and two years from then, the wise men are going to come. And they're going to worship. And you just have again and again and again these marvelous moments of amazing revelations by God concerning Christ. But no matter how perfect we want to wrap Christmas in the most beautiful, intricate, designed wrapping paper, there is always blood splattered on Christmas. Death and blood is always present. It isn't just Easter that we are to remember the death, the crucifixion, and the splattered blood of Jesus Christ poured out for all God's people. It's Christmas. You can't look at the birth of Christ without death and his blood being spilled, always present. And here again we see it in our text today. Verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed. He's destined. He has come for this purpose, for the fall and rising of many in Israel and he will be a sign that is opposed, that is spoken against, that people will mock, that people will cry, crucify him, that people will hate, that people will try to destroy him, that people will reject him. Well, Merry Christmas. But this is the truth concerning Jesus Christ and his birth. This is a reality throughout the scriptures, of course. And again, Gospel of John, John 1, it says this. Verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. It's a powerful, powerful statement. And of course, we know of how Jesus will be wrongly persecuted and wrongly tried and, and this, this sham and mockery of trials under Pilate and Herod and under the chief priests and the people, and they will shout out, crucify an innocent man. And when Jesus is said to be their king, they shout back, we have no king but Caesar. Have mercy. 
have mercy. So he's a sign that will be opposed. And then here in 35, we have his death and what that's going to do also to Mary. This is this tender moment of verse 35. Simeon is looking at Mary and he says, A sword will pierce through your own soul also. And of course, we have Mary there at the foot of the cross. And we see Mary in John 19, verse 25, but standing by the cross of Jesus where his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw his mother, so here's Jesus hanging on the cross, looking at his mother down there. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, this would be John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Speaking about John. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. But all along, you've seen where it's stated, it was told to Mary that this son, this child, this son of God, this holy one, this savior, this redeemer, he's going to be killed. But this death of Christ is no defeat. It is the most glorious victory anyone could ever imagine. That's the promise. That's why Simeon can speak about this coming death and pain and suffering, yet give glory that his eyes have seen the salvation. Because this piercing of Christ, this crucifixion is not defeat, but victory. Oh, how wonderful. So the ultimate focus here is the last statement. (coughs) The end of verse 35. So that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So this is what it all comes down to. For each and every one of us, this is what it comes down to. Where is your heart concerning Jesus Christ? Where does he fit in your heart, in your life? Who is he? Is he a one day of the week thought and consideration? Is he a twice a year thought or consideration? Is he just... Something in the background that that we draw upon when things are the most difficult or most trying? Or is Jesus Christ our everything? Is He what we we worship and and pray pray to and and long for and and seek and desire more than anything else? It's, It's the revealing of our hearts is ultimately what Christ does.
And that's why I started the service with Psalm 86. And I, I end my message there again. Psalm 86, verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart. There it is. That's our prayer. That's our prayer. Oh, Lord, give me an undivided heart. I know that Jesus Christ has set me free from my fallen flesh. Oh, Lord, give me an undivided heart. Help me to, help me to stop bringing that dead flesh out of the grave and living according to it. Oh, Lord, keep that dead flesh down in the grave. Oh, Lord, give me an undivided heart. Help me not to, to be seeking after the things of this world or the pride of life and being enticed by temptation and sin. No, Lord, free me from that. Help me walk in your ways. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Verse 12, I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all of my heart. So I'll give you a New Year's resolution. Are you ready for this one? This doesn't have to be your only one. That's where I usually get in a lot of trouble. Every year I make up a list of New Year's resolutions. It covers a front and back of a sheet of paper. Already I'm in trouble, right? I'm already in trouble? Yeah. But I'll give you one to add to your list. Here's your New Year's resolution. Are you ready for this? There's one of them. One of them. Oh, Lord, help me to love you more and to love sin less through your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit. I need your grace. I need your mercy. And as we've seen in our text, that's the work that the Holy Spirit does. He takes us from death to life and he grows us in the likeness of God's Son, Jesus Christ, so that we would love God more. And love and desire the things of this world and sin and rebellion less and less. God is good. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are so good to us. Father, we pray that you would give us undivided hearts. That we would love you with all our heart mind, soul, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. Father, we pray that you would guide us in your word, empower us through your Holy Spirit, that we would lift up the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, for your glory. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.